one of the deals where you need a swivel chair. If I don't go to sleep, this could go pretty well. <laughs> I think we're already supposed to be started, so let's uh, let's begin to think about this stuff a little bit. I uh, first thing I had to overcome when they asked me to do this is I had to reassure myself of what my qualifications were for this subject, and uh, and I'll give them to you because I figured them out. We have most of them. Can you see anybody through the window? Okay. Anyway, I was commenting on my qualifications, and they're real. Uh, they're real simple. One is I'm not the ideal father, and I don't have perfect children, but I do have three teenagers. So, whatever that leads me to, those are my qualifications for the subject at hand. What I want to do is, um, after we take a little time to pray, is I'm just going to throw out some ideas of some things that uh, came to my mind, and then I want to spend most of the time kind of interacting, and I know it's going to be difficult because they've decided to put this thing on tape. In fact, I had to change two-thirds of what I was going to say when I found out it was being taped. Uh, but we'll, uh, what I'll try to do, if you'll remind me, is to repeat uh, either your questions or your comments so that they do end up back on the tape, and you'll have to remind me to do that because it's certainly not my my style. So uh, let's have a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, we... Uh, come to you very appropriately so on this subject because you are our Father, our Heavenly Father. You have uh, given us a role model and some uh, guidelines and some directions that we can apply in in the task that we uh, have as fathers in uh, dealing with and uh, working with the, the children that you've given us. And we just ask for your presence and the power of your Spirit to work during this time together that we might Go away with some things that will allow uh, us to uh, to do the things that you would find productive in our lives and that you would find to be glorifying to you. Above all, we uh, seek to have uh, your will and your way known, and that uh, if we if we come up with anything that's not from you, just uh, please let us forget it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I think, you know, as I've reflected back and thought about. Uh, starting from scratch that, that one of the first things I remember really impacting me was Psalm 127.3 uh, somebody might look that up and, and uh, read it uh, in fact probably since we're on the tape I can just maybe just tell you what it says because you'll know the verse if you look it up it says behold children are a gift of the Lord and, it, and when I first ran across that and started to try to think about that a little bit the thought that mainly occurred to me is that there's a tendency in parenting, there's a tendency in fathering, uh, and we do it, uh, if you listen to people, it comes out very automatically because we have a tendency to say, well, these are my children and that's my wife, and et cetera, et cetera. But I think more than just verbally, there's also in our mind the concept of uh, possession in terms of our children. And the problem with the concept of possession, it is implies control. Uh, and sometimes we like it to imply absolute control. And I think where we get uh, in, in trouble uh, to start off with is the improper perception of what our job description is. I mean, that's the way business people work. You know, we've got to get the job description right first. And as I thought about that, the, uh, the conclusion I came to, whether or not I always get it followed, is that what a primary job description is is to is to help uh, and assist in the development and the nurturing of 
these individuals that God has brought into uh, our care, custody, and control, if you will, and to and to see our our position as not one of of control, but as one of of aiding that process. One of the ways I think that manifests itself, if you listen to people, uh, I think sometimes there's a, there's almost an uh, an obsession with with the time by the time they get to the point where they're about to go out of the nest and people get real uh, remorseful and, and real uh, upset about the idea that the child is going away and we're going to miss the child and there's going to be tears and sadness and uh, hole in the nest and all those kind of things and I think in a, in a sense that's partly an indication of what I just said that we have we have gotten we've worked so far with the idea that we're not preparing that person to leave that individual to leave to go out and be productive as one of God's children but that really we perceived that that was our child and so when they go away we feel like a loss in that in that respect so I think if, and I'm not going to try to tell you how all that looks but if you'll just think about the the concept and renew in your mind the concept periodically that children are gifts and therefore we are stewards of that gift we our job description is to is to aid in the development of that individual but that is not uh, ours and they will do what we say exactly when we say etc etc I think that's one of the first concepts that came to my mind and I'm just going to throw these out real quickly and then we'll just go back and hash them however you want to um, and, and the question comes in that in that regard how do then we how do we properly influence how do we uh, aid in that uh, growth and development of, of the child and I think, I don't know where I originally heard this, I heard it not too long ago on, on one of uh, James Dobson's tapes. But the, but the statement was that values are caught and not taught. Values are caught, not taught. Now I have to say to you that I, personally in my family, and I've got my, my three kids for whatever difference it makes, I've, I've got an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old, almost 16-year-old, and a 13-year-old. And uh, we have had a very few of what I would call a family devotional. And one of the reasons for that was, I've, there's some one reason, that I'm not saying anything against that, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, if you do that, great. Uh, but one of the reasons that, that we did not do that is, is my consideration of this principle right here. That in reality, most of the time, if we, if we observe right, if you really pay attention to your kids, you'll find out that they have picked up parts of your value system but if you can trace back to where they got them from you'll find out that they were not necessarily in specific teaching situations but that they got them by observing you or listening to you or watching how you responded to something I don't think they do know and that's one of the reasons that I've that, that one of the things I felt was important is that my children learn to think for themselves and 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 reach a point in time where where they're able to reflect not just accept my value system at face value but actually reflect upon it dissect it figure out where I might have got it and then decide if it's one that they want to continue with but I can just say to you in the formative years I really believe that that how that value system is developed in children is just picked up in little bits and pieces uh, along the way and uh, you know one of the things I believe very strongly as I've watched my own kids grow up is that kids are reflective uh, whether we like it or not they're reflective 
they tend to reflect the way we are. And, uh, you know, uh, we would like to think that's all positive. Unfortunately, it just isn't that way. But they will reflect. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're mirrors. And if you pay attention, you will see a lot of yourself in your children. Uh, part of it you may not like, but then again, we shouldn't like it in ourselves. Uh, but that's going to happen. We have to understand that. Uh, and I think that's why, one of the reasons why, I was more interested in in the little times, if you will, than in set uh, programmed arenas in which we would try to to say, okay, you know, here's how you should think, and this is what you should believe, and et cetera, et cetera. And I certainly, over the course of time, uh, you know, I've a, a very fortunate situation. All my children are, are believers, and uh, and and I, you know, I I marvel at that, quite frankly, at times, because if it, if you take it down to technique, I haven't done very well in the technique area. And I don't want to use myself as the example here. I'm just throwing this out for purposes of, of generating our thinking. Uh, but, uh, but you know, I think part of that comes from the fact that they have, that I've tried to give them the freedom to think through things on their own and, and come to their own decisions and decide for themselves, not just to take at face value what I believe, but to try to develop uh, where I got that. Well, I don't know that, that ultimately I have any control. He, yeah, let me see if I got it right. He says, after you've gone that far, do you let them live out the decision? Uh, if they make their own decision, do you let them live it out? My own view of that is uh, you're going to one way or another. If, if you decide uh, for the short term not to let, it, let them live it out, they're just going to live it out in the long term. And I think that's because that's the way we are. That's the way we behave. But I would suggest, if, as you work through your own life, you have maybe retained some of your uh, the value systems of, of uh, your father, your your father figure, how, whatever that looked like, and and uh, some of those you've uh, changed, discarded. Uh, so that's part of the the process. And the the the, the other you know, the other couple of scriptures, I think most of the, the most time you talk about fathering, these two scriptures come up in the New Testament and. And um, again, you'll probably be familiar with them, and we can look them up if you if you want me to read them to you. Ephesians six four and uh, and Colossians three twenty one. Are you are you familiar with not angering your children and and uh, not exasperating me? Yeah, let me look them up for you, since I'm the I'm the guy at the mic. What I just say? Ephesians six four. Ephesians 6.4 says, uh, And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, and then Colossians, uh should know that verse by now, 3.21. And this is the New American Standard. Um, fathers, do not exasperate your children, that they may not lose heart. And that's the one that, that's the one that intrigues me. Is that term exasperating our children? Uh, Chuck was having this conversation with me at breakfast this morning about well, what you know. You say something and they just go off the wall on you. Uh, you know what does that look like? How do you how do you deal with that? Let me give you the let me give you the definition in case you haven't run across it of exasperate. I think if you catch this, if I catch this, it will totally change a, a way you view this particular problem. Exasperate means to incite rather than reconcile when one is at fault. It means to incite rather than reconcile when one is at fault. 
That does not mean one third person. It means one person. And if you think about those situations that we get into all the time, what, we, what we're first, usually first to evaluate is, okay, who's wrong and who's right here? And what's that going to do? That's going to incite. That's going to that's set that tension even on a tighter edge. The moment we take that approach. And the biblical call referencing fathers says, don't do that. Do not exasperate. Do not incite when one is at fault. First of all, think, how do, how do we reconcile? Because notice he says that, and then comes the instruction. You've got to, you've got to get the, the uh, relationship in order before the instruction can come. Otherwise, all you've got is emotion. Out of control. Okay. So yeah, there's, there's really just those two real specific commands in relationships to fathers and children, specific commands, that I see in the New Testament, and that's where they are. Well. Can I suggest that a parallel and one that fills in further the Ephesians 6 forecast would be Deuteronomy 6 7? Yeah. Where, you know, the Shemai says, Hear, O Israel, Lord, our God is one God, and you shall have no other gods. And then it goes on and it says what we're supposed to do, and that is, and these words which I'm commanding today should be on your heart. And I understand that means cut into it literally. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's right. Unfortunately, that won't all show up on the on the tape. But uh, you know, I think I think that's right. And yet, I think one of the things that we can come away with from that passage is that again, it's it's leading with instruction. And I think the significance of the verse in Colossians is that we have to get the relationship right, and then the instruction. And I want to talk about that in a minute. Uh, Sure. In other words, it has to be in our lives, and if we don't do it by the daily instruction of the study of the word and application to us, then our kids aren't going to see it either. Right. But I would say in Chuck's illustration, I know Chuck, he's a, he's a guy that's instructed in the word, and yet he says, my gosh, every time I'm 18-year-old, I say something, she flies off the handle. So what do we do? Well, then I would say to you that, that we've got to look, first of all, to the area of the relationship and then to the area of the instruction. That's the, that's the point I'm trying to, to bring out of, of the passage in Colossians. Okay, because we're it's 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 easier for us most of the time. If I can categorize males, it's easier to move into the instruction realm than it is to get into the reconciliation mode. The instruction is to fathers, not to mothers. And mothers can exasperate their children just as well as fathers. Why why is the instruction only to fathers? Fathers have a special place in the home that that warrants his commandment or admonition against desperation. Yeah, I think so, and and we'll maybe get to that a little as, as a little later on. But I it, I don't know if about two or three years ago, for those of you that were here, uh, Gail Jackson was giving a talk in this general area, and he made a comment that that that's you know I don't retain much, but I retained this comment. He said, "You as a father will set the tone." of your household. You will set the tone of your household. Now if you don't think that's true, 
then pick up your powers of observation a little bit. Because, because whatever, as I've, as I've thought about that and tried to study that in my own particular environment, that is absolutely exactly true. I set the tone. If I'm, if I'm not interested in relationships, the, the family's interest in relationship goes away. If I'm running around and in a, in a, in a, acting like a holy terror, then pretty soon I see the rest of the family doing the same thing. If I can be fairly calm and, and uh, under, you know, kind of re, uh, maintaining what, what's going on, then that's the kind of the aura of my household. That's the kind of way that things go. You will set the tone, one way or the other. If you're, if you're, you know, we're going to talk about this. If you're an absentee father, you'll find out that you have absentee children. Okay. So it's that's the that I think is why it's directed at fathers. And yes, we do have that responsibility. We do have the. If admonishment comes from leadership, I would say yes. What's, what, what are we setting? What example are we setting in that arena? Okay. I want to back up a step because another thing I got, I got to thinking about this. I spent some time in the latter part of last year in the, uh, in the book of 1 John, in, the letter, in John's first letter, and that really, uh, really was helpful to me that we had a thing... Uh, on a Friday morning down in the Springs while back, and I shared a little bit of that with you guys. But, uh, you know, what I think the message of First John was, at least what I got out of it, is that as if we want to have a, a relationship with God, there's some qualities that have to be present there. And as I and I mentioned those qualities down there, as I thought about those qualities, I, I tried to flip, flip that into my own arena. Basically, those qualities are love, know, and obey. That's what that's what God says, and, and, he, and he, throughout the letter of First John, He says, "If you want to know Me, you'll have to love Me and obey Me. If you want to obey Me, you'll have to love Me and know Me." And, and you know, they're all interrelated. Use the illustration of a tripod. I don't want to get into that now, but as I thought about that, I, I thought to myself, "Okay, now that's what God is asking of us." Flipping that around, though, what what is God doing for us, or or what does He want to do for us that would elicit that kind of a response? from us to him and then try to bring that into the arena of the relationship I have with my own children I don't want to suggest this is not an exhaustive list I just want to suggest two or three things that came to my mind the first and foremost by far the foremost issue that God gives me is time time I'll have to say to you I have never really bought the theory of quality time I never bought that. And I'm not saying that, that uh, I can't err in the other direction. I've, you know, Way back when we decided, my wife and I decided we were going to start raising a family, we made some decisions. She would stay home. Uh, I would try to arrange the, the way my uh, uh, occupation developed in such a way that I would be home a lot by design. And that is the way it is. That, you know, I try to spend most of my time at home. I eat lunches at home. Um, my, at least the, the two boys that are in high school come home for lunch. We try to spend every possible, every meal that we can eat at home. I'm home most evenings. Uh, time, pure and simple time. And the thing that the thing that intrigues me because you never know why this looks until you're all the way past and you can review the whole thing. But the thing that intrigues me now is I see my children, who again are all teenagers, if they have the opportunity to be somewhere or be home. Most of the time they're home. They come home. 
and uh, there's a there's a kind of a hopefully a nice uh, environment there for them. But when they have an opportunity to go somewhere else, they don't go. They come home most of the time. They even will tend to bring their girlfriends or whatever home with them. And I and and I think that's positive. I hope it is. But I think what that comes from is over the long course of time, I've tried to spend a lot of time. And of course, there, there's you know there's just an absolutely prophetic piece of a document out on that and it's the song Cats in the Cradle by Henry Chapin. I mean, you just have to sit down and reflect on the verses of that song every once in a while because he nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. Well, he, yeah, he said is that, is that there's another way to say it is what is important to us will be important to our children. I guess that's my hope, TJ. I mean, again, without having run the cycle and being able to report back. I don't know what that what that looks like downstream, but I, but that's the impression that I'm getting in the and the Well, the biblical reference says that if we if we train them up in that way, they they will they will come back to it, they will return to it. But I would say, in in response to, to Rich's comment, that that's that's what I was trying to say earlier about having them be able to do their own thinking. That they that you that you really should be able, you should be willing to let them hold your value system under the light, and and see if it holds up. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to get some adverse input, and come to some erroneous conclusions, especially in the short term. But I think in the long term. You should be willing to let your value system hold up in a light. I just said, and unfortunately, I can't for the tape reiterate all that TJ just just said. But uh, you know, I think I think that is the concept. The concept that they are going to pick up what's important. And it just as a little illustration of that, um, I've got a younger sister who's got uh, her children are now three and and one. And uh, a lot of times she works, and and a lot of times uh, my daughter, who's uh, the thirteen-year-old, babysits. Uh, their children, and uh, it's been a couple months ago. Uh, the the three year old is a girl, and uh, and my daughter made a comment to my wife. She said, "You know," she said, "It seems to me like uh, Jaylene's kind of uh, insecure and confused because, uh, and I think that comes from the fact that she has she goes to two or three different babysitters over the course of the week, each and every week, uh, because my sister's working." 
And and what I see her doing is analyzing uh, her circumstance growing up where her mother was always at home and available to her as opposed to how my sister's doing that and coming to her own conclusions as to how she wants that to look in her situation. And I think that's the that's the healthy part of that. I don't want to go out and, and say, now, absolutely, there's no conditions where you ever uh, want to work while you're raising children, but I want her to come up with the significance of that issue in her mind so that when she when she addresses it, she has some some kind of a backdrop. And I think again that's that's to me what what the instruction element those are the those are the cotton not taught uh, type things I haven't I haven't set her down and say okay now here's the way you're going to think on this issue uh, but hopefully she sees how we've approached that issue filters it through and decides if that's if that's what's going to be really a, a critical thing to her okay back to what the, back to the way uh, you know God relates to God my father relates to me and to, and to you. I think the other the, the other thing, and it's it's not inseparable from the time aspect, that but that's what I call attention and awareness. That God gives me His attention, and God, because of His His intimate knowledge of me, is aware of what my circumstances are. The uh, the the times that I can reflect back and see where we had a little flare up of some kind of problem in in, in my household, and then and then had to deal with that. As I try to look back in front of that, the thing I see most often is that I was not uh, aware and attentive. Uh, there were clues, but I wasn't picking up on them. There were there were there were signals, but I wasn't paying enough attention for a variety of reasons. I wasn't sensitive to the situation. And yet, if we if we flip that around and and, and tried to say, well, I'll, you know, our our concept of God is. He's not really that aware of what's going on in our lives, and, and, and you know he may be paying attention, uh, but then again, I may be bailing the, this thing; it's filling up faster than I can bail it, and I don't know if he's watching. I mean, if we really had that concept of God our Father, then what what kind of you know we would not enter into on the other side a relationship where he should anticipate love and knowledge and obedience, love and knowing again being the intimate relationship type of a know. Why would he? Why would we flip that and look at it that way, if that were true? So obviously, he gives us uh, attentiveness and awareness. You know, the, the question you can simply ask is, how well do I know my children? How well do I really know? Do I know how they think? Do I know what's going on in their life? I mean, they make a, it's a project when you're that age to keep things from your parents. We understand that, you know, when they're especially in that teenage area. I mean, they, they specialize at that. Yeah, but you can know if you want to know. There's enough clues if you're paying attention. There's enough signals going on that they can, they'll be telling you. And and um, how do they think? You know, the, the thing that I probably, in, in my family, enjoy more than anything else is that we just sit down every once in a while, typically on a Sunday. And we'll just sit down and, and try to, we just run, run a little half circle like that, got a table in the middle. I just kind of inadvertently make sure there's four or five Bibles laying on the table. And we just start talking about things. We start talking about things. I don't say, open your Bible and look at such and such a thing. I say, we'll start talking about things. We'll be visiting along, and they'll bring up something. Well, I wonder, you know, what, I think the Bible says this. Why don't we see? But and if you know, if they want to look in their Bible, fine. If they don't, they can just leave it sitting there. But as we talk about in in that kind of environment, the reason I love that exercise is because I learn how my kids think. I learn what their value system looks like, and it kind of gives me some some guidelines to know if 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 if, if it's in my abilities to make some adjustments. 
now because certainly in terms of my 18 year old he's you know he's going to be uh, moving away from my influence uh, more rapidly than he already has so I need to know I and, and in that way again with a little bit of attentiveness and awareness I'm not quite as surprised when I see him respond and do things in, in certain ways so that that again comes from looking at, at how God relates to us and what what he looks for from us and I would say to you that you would look for the same thing from your children well I think quite a bit uh, yeah because because only I have to see it on a different level as my own personal view he is not going to to be prepared as I was not for me to say okay now here's how you're going to think uh, but again it's it's little little bits and pieces Little tiny nicks and pieces. We get to work through the, uh, you know, my kids are all involved in, in competitive athletics, and we that's that's our, you know, that seems like that's our life. We do that 12 months out of the year. That's this time thing is in spades when it comes to sports. Uh, but we get, you know, sports to me is a tremendous opportunity to teach little ideas, and and a couple of things that I would also suggest to you in that area that I've learned from that process all by itself, and that is, kids are reflective, but what we what we should do, or I find helpful to do, is to mirror some of the instruction or training that we that we want to give our children. In other words, flip it around and look at look at it in relationship to yourself before you dump the truck on your kids. Because uh, the classic example is, I you know every time I go to a ball game, I'll miss one tonight, which is one of the few. But go to a ball game and I'll come home and I've got the whole thing analyzed and I've, everything that they've done wrong. You know, and I'll and I'll start running down this laundry list. I can stay awake two or three hours after the game, running down these things, the things that saying one of these boys needs to know. They need to understand. Um, you know, and we'll talk about this stuff sometimes. That um, uh, we'll bring out like Ephesians 6:12. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. Other people cannot control your effort. You control your effort. You control your response. The coach upsets you. That's you know you still control the response. And we, we'll, you know, so I get all these things prepared, and I'm thinking, well. They, Needs to understand how to give a better effort. He needs to understand, you know, how to put himself more on the line emotionally and get involved in the game. And I'm going through all these things, and pretty soon I flip that around and look at it, and I realize I'm, I'm I've just done a real pretty good analysis of myself, and that helps me a lot because that tempers tremendously the next conversation we have. And I think in in doing that, you know, it's it's an honest way, and I think that I think in terms of both of my sons, they understand. That it's more honest to say, well, to be quite honest with you, I may be a little bit this way myself. I may not always give full effort, quite, quite frankly, and uh, you know, I may not always put myself on the line emotionally. I may not take the as as much risk as I need to uh, to make this thing fly. I'll have to just admit that to you. But I will also want to say to you that if you want to to do better, to improve whatever it is we're, our goal is here, that you those are the kind of things that you'll have to do. So if you flip around your sermons and give them to yourself and see how they look to you and fit you before you give them to your kids, I think I think it's a useful exercise. Okay, and that uh, that's kind of it. I I call those sideboards. Those those last two little elements about and that wasn't necessarily the last two, but kids being reflective and mirroring mirroring your sermons. Uh, Though, that kind of keeps for me the sideboards on this on this business of fathering, whatever that's supposed to look like. Um, that helps me. So I think with that, uh, 
You know, it, it always has struck me that the last verse, you know the last verse in the Old Testament? You, you, you good Bible scholars? Malachi 4.6. You know what the last verse of the Old Testament says? The last passage before the program changes. Well, again, we're on tape, so I won't, I'll, I'll tell you what it says. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. That's the parting comment of the Old Testament. And I have to, and I have to ask myself once in a while, what am I doing to restore, uh, to, to be in that situation where my heart's being restored to the children and the, and the children's hearts are being restored to me? What does that look like? And I'm not going to tell you. I just want you to, you can just kind of reflect on that and ponder why, why he said that that way and why it's the last parting comment of the Old Testament. So we've got what? We've got some time here. Let's let's just kick it open. What do you want? I'll, I'll try. I'll try to rephrase what you what you say or ask or whatever. Hit it. Do you uh, do you often find a, a desire to counter the uh, the uh, misconceptions and, and and false values that the world presents to your children, or do you find that it's best to uh, to express the values that God's given you uh, and let them make a decision uh, is at that point where you become if you try to counter those values that they're receiving from the world is at that point where you're trying to teach them uh, rather than let them uh, catch that is that wrong or yeah if I if I'm hearing it do do we do we make an obvious attempt to uh, when we when we see our children picking up Worldly values. Do we make an obvious attempt to try to counteract that? And again, uh, don't just direct these questions to me. I'm not the only father in the room. Okay, so if somebody else wants to comment, you just jump right in and ask it to the group. I would say, from my perspective, that goes back to what I, what to me, uh, caught and not taught, means. I think there are opportunities. Yes, where you can you know we can you can sit and say, okay, if you're gonna if you're gonna watch that particular video, you're gonna find that we're not necessarily in agreement with several things that are going on. You know, I constantly my uh, my younger son's probably the worst. At, at uh, I'll be walking along and he'll he'll have MTV programmed to back into the TV because he's smarter to figure that out. And I'll say, uh, oh, that's good. That's good programming. What are we learning there? I don't try to be a real caddy about it. Uh, you know, but no, that's my that's my 16 year old, 15 year old. But I, you know, I'm I'm actually trying to pose that to him in a question. Sometimes I probably am caddy about it, but I. I'm trying to pose that in a in a reasonable question. What is it that that teaches you? Because then and then that gives you the opportunity to talk about. Well, you know how you function. Do you really understand how you function? Once something gets in here, this computer is is the top drawer. This is a good deal. It won't forget. And and if you equate those verses with that music, and that music plays over and over and again in your head, so do those verses. You see, and 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 so we talk about things like not. I'm not into backmasking and all that kind of. I just you know I don't try to get caught up in that. Just saying, you have to understand how we function and what that does and what that looks like. And then, if you think you're tough enough, having known all that, to go ahead and and walk down that trail, then anticipate the consequences. So you know, there's again, those are. But but by and large, it seems to me that those things will be apparent to your children. I mean, you don't have to say, "Now I'm not in favor of that right there." That'll kind of be pretty obvious to them. Chuck. Uh, Gail Jackson, a few years back, 
gave a, a good talk, I felt, on the matter of conviction versus hope. And, and I tried to, to look at that in the relationship to instructing the children that it, it doesn't do me any good to beat them over the head with the um, things that I'm convinced they shouldn't do or should do if their hope is not in Christ. It's all in vain. So, you know, I, on the other hand, if, if I really can make sure and I'm convinced in my heart that my daughter is understands Christ crucified and accepted that, eventually the convictions will follow. As long as I set the example, and maybe I keep nagging a little bit, but it, it changes the content of, of what it means to instruct. You know, sometimes you got to catch the kids that are teachable, and, you, and, and then, which isn't very often in the case of my eight-year-old, but you also have to change the content. I mean, it, you know, I, I really... I can sit in her room, which is a pigsty, but I will. I want sometimes I want to talk about the love of Jesus Christ and her salvation. Take her back to when she called Will Perkins' uh, TV thing, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do that rather than her mother wants to get that room cleaned up. And you know, I, you know, I just I have quit worrying about that that conviction part of that a clean room is next to godliness or something. I'm just saying, you know, that instruction, I, you know, you've got to orient it towards if the kid adopts the hope that you have, and it shows coming out in you, maybe when they're age 30, they're going to be where you'd hope they'd be anyway. But on the contrary, if you demand it and beat them into submission, or you have a submissive kid, and you can sit there and say, okay, today we're going to start the book of Romans, you know? And you start, you know, they may sit there and they may do that with you. But if their hope is not firmly rooted in the Word, forget it. You know, we're wasting our time. I, I, although, we, certainly that, that passage in, in Colossians, or Ephesians, they, they, they want to say about, you know, say, well, it's by instruction, you know, they're not, it's not clear what they mean by instruction, is it? Well, I don't think that, that, to me, the import of those passages is that, it, that, the, that the initial thing is the relationship. And it's the instruction. And I think God works with us the same way. I think what He, the way He, he raises us up is, is he, he wants us, first of all, to learn relationship. You have to learn to talk to Him, pray, those basic kinds of things. And then having learned relationship, then you can begin on the instruction phase. You know. And I think a lot of times, the tendency, it seems to me, is we want to jump to the instruction phase, and, and we don't want to spend so much time on the relationship phase. Yeah, and and what in, in reality then, if your if your children are believers and they and they reach some point in time where they can think about that, then then they've got to. I mean, you've almost taught them backwards, and they've got to work through the same issue again. But if you taught them that it was a relationship thing first, then they'll tend to perceive God, God their Father, in that in that way, and they'll tend to approach Him in a relationship basis first. I I you know I'm taught, I just I don't see any way to put all that on tape, unfortunately. Go ahead.
And that comes at an attentive stage. I mean, you know, we obviously understand kids develop, and there's certain you can do things at certain ages you just can't do it at other ages. But you know, by the time they get in the 16 to 18 category, you start like that, and they say, "I know where this trail leads. You know, I know what you're trying to do. Don't don't con me." Uh, and you have to adjust your style a little bit. You have to you have to go at it a little differently. Uh, but but again. You know, the real, the thing that they'll pick up on, and this is what bothers us, is how do we respond to the commercial? What are, what are, what's acceptable to us? Maybe the fact that they're sitting there watching TV, maybe it's something. Yeah. Maybe if that's not a value to you and you don't want to, the kids may not going to pick up that value either. It's possible. Yeah, they, you know, kids, the scary part about kids is they're such good mimics. I mean, that. I back I spent some time as a, as a golf professional one time, and I said, "Give me a twelve-year-old kid, because all you got to do teach a twelve-year-old kid to play golf is just say, follow me, and and swing the way I swing, you'll be fine.' And that's right, and they'll do it. They're uncanny. You cannot get a thirty-year-old to do that, because they're going to do it their own way. So understanding that's the way kids are, they're going to they're going to absorb. That's what, that Dobson nails it. They, you know, those values are are caught. They're not, you don't sit down and teach them all those things. They say, well, wait a minute. I'm not perceiving that the way you behave is consistent with what you're saying. Uh, one thing I have to dispute with you is if they're caught, not caught, then why? Then Deuteronomy 6, 7 is incorrect. And God is not incorrect. No, I don't think, I don't think it's incorrect in that sense. I think, I think again, that... Then there's obviously an element of, of pure instruction that goes with that. That's why when I made the comment about devotionals, family devotionals, I was not saying or implying, no, you don't want to spend some time w- with your kids in the Word. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that if we think that a family devotional would sit down and say, okay, now here's what the Bible says. Okay, now get out there and, and, and follow that. And, and then they see us inconsistent with that. Then I think that's where that's where we're kidding ourselves. And I still, I still strongly believe that the relationship has to come in front of the instruction. That if we don't develop the relationship first and we spend all our time being instructive, we're going to be, we're going to, there's a metal plate inside their ear and we don't even see it. I mean, I, I think they're tuning us out. Colossians 3.23, we were carvers for the Lord, and who was he doing it for? 
because he had some comments from the kids, you know, and they weren't participating and they were griping and complaining about, you know, this isn't what we wanted or blah, blah, blah. So in that one little experience he had, there were lessons to be learned about the sovereignty of God, who's in charge of the results, what his responsibility is in the process that he's doing his best, and thirdly, not to worry about what his peers necessarily think about it, if, as long as he understood what God thought about what he was doing. So, that, I mean, that was just a, a day-to-day uh, experience that, Hal, I think you're talking about out of Deuteronomy, and I don't know that, I don't know whether that's a caught or a taught value, but it seems to me like that incorporates kind of both situations, because it was, it was caught because it was of that moment, moment's opportunity to be taught, I guess it's yeah, and I would, and I would say so to you, Lon. There's, there's a couple elements that you've mentioned that are in front of that. One is, uh, the first obvious thing that had to happen there is you were taking your son home. There was a time relationship there. The second thing was that you had already developed somewhere along the line uh, an openness that he would kind of share with you what was going on in his head, what was happening in his life. And so that's that's the point I'm trying to make is that we 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 develop those scenarios where that instruction takes place. And that, that, that is the undergirding. That's the underlying element that I think sometimes we forget. If we get technique oriented, we just want to jump in and say, okay, here's the way, here's the way this is going to fly. And we don't, we don't have any bridges there. Yeah. 
really opened my kids' minds up to that tremendously. Because I've got the young ones, two, nine, and six. Yeah, I've got three little kids, and uh, the oldest one is seven, and I find that when I'm really encouraging them to get their room cleaned or to do things like this, that in a sense it can actually cause differences between them and me. They walk into my room and it's clean, and their room is not, to whatever degree. And what I've found is that when I volunteer to go in and say, hey guys, let's clean up the room, and I'm helping them, even if I don't pick up anything, if I just direct traffic and put this to the floor and that kind of thing, it brings me down kind of on their level. That's, that's what they see in their eyes, and then it makes it real easy for me to teach them anything I want to teach them, because now they're real receptive. Mm-hmm. And that creates a real time for that. I hate, to, I hate to throw Walt Hendrickson at you, but you know the, the, the other side of that equation is, though, that we still have to remember that we are not in control of that, uh, that, that God, God is in control of that. And, that. and that's a tension you know, that we've got to live through. But the nice part about the tension is, is that is that we are not in control of our children coming to Christ, uh, neither are we responsible for that. We're responsible for the input, the suggestions that we're making, you know, those kind of things that we can do. Right, yeah. And so we, yeah. But we don't want to, you know, we don't want to uh, put our whole life on, on saying, boy, if my kids don't know Christ by a certain age, then I have failed miserably. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how long some of you have been here, but I remember very well a session, probably goes back ten years, now that Walt was addressing issues like this, and he just had some guys in the audience go tilt on him. Uh, but, you know, he, he really, he really in essence said, uh, it's out of your hands. You know, you got a, a kid's gone south on you, you, you're, you know, it's in God's hands. You've got to, you've got to trust. And that's not real comforting if you're looking for some techniques to apply. But that is the harsh reality of, of the way it is. So what we can set and talk about is, how do we how do we listen to God in such a way that that it creates the best environment for that to happen, and then to trust God that that happens? Because I certainly would not want to take any credit in relationships with my three kids doing that, uh, other than hopefully there was elements of their environment that made that a uh, an easier uh, decision for them. Mm-hmm. Agree. And another another element to that is, it ask, you know, in, it always sounds like you're moving to a technique, but sometimes it's good to ask yourself outside the context and maybe around the supper table, how often do your kids see you pray or hear you pray? Do they do they see that as just, a, you know, that's the way you live. That's the way things are done. Uh, because if they don't, again, they, they, tend to, they tend to mimic. They tend to emulate. Mother had always had a box, or 
I wasn't involved with their mother didn't think it's for her. But uh, I, I think they, but she talked to them about uh, salvation and different things. And, and they both understood that, you know, sooner or later they just need to make that commitment. But they would ask, you know, when do I need to do this? When do I need to do this? And you just have to explain to them that you were in the same situation. You know, you were you were lost at one time too. That that you don't have to make it. You know, you got to let them know that you were not always like that. You were not always a Christian. Because then it looks like, boy, that's a big step for them to live up to. That's that's a mountain for them to climb. But you know, if they know dad or mom has experienced the same thing, it's just a lot easier. And uh, and the oldest one, he didn't have a problem. The youngest one did, and, and it just took time. He's, you know, he's, he's, I hate to say this, but you just kind of have to put them out there. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you Give them support, right. and yeah, let them, you know, let them know that you know, let them see you pray, and uh, let them know that you struggle too. You know, they, that's that's the yeah. biggest thing with my youngest. He's uh, boy, he just gets so wrapped up in school and things are going in school and the way kids act. And, uh, he'll come home and it's like, why in the world is that's their decision yeah there's there's no no question we had a really interesting experience I was just thinking about that as he was talking we uh, a couple years ago we sent we some missionary friends down in Ecuador that were that were uh, ministering to the Quechua Indians down there, and we sent um, my daughter, like fools, we just put her on a plane and sent her to Ecuador. And uh, she was 11 at the time. And while she was down there, we didn't know this until after the fact, but while she was down there, the, this missionary friend, they they were uh, had some converts, and they were baptizing them in a river there in Ecuador. And he just inadvertently asked my daughter, Brett, if she'd ever done that, and she said no. And he said, would you like to? And he said, she said, yeah, I think I would. Uh, she understood uh, what the deal was. But what was funny about that is he, while, they were, while she was down there, he did a video of all the travels and all the places they went. When he sent back the video, this guy, and I know him really well, but he, he just went on and on and on trying to prep me for, was I going to be upset that she made this decision to have her baptism when we weren't present? You know, And I, and I, I just kind of chuckled at that. I thought, no, wh- why would I be? I mean, it, it sure had been nice. It's nice to see it on video. But it's it's her decision. That's that's between her and God. And uh, you know, I think that's again that's the way ultimately we have to understand our role. That goes back to this business that they're gifts. They're gifts. They're not they're not ours. And there's some nice sides of that too. Part of part of which is the not as quite as much responsibility. But if we look at them that way, I think it's easier to define what it is we're supposed to do to to be in this fathering business. We got about sounds like five more minutes or so. What's our that's our goal. We aim to please. I did all these, I, I can't believe I did these things, and I can't believe the kids did these things, 
people, you know, and now I know better. And, you know, you just can't say, forget everything you saw in Virginia. I told you, and I for a decade. Now we're going to turn this all around. Now let's get out our Bibles and we're going to instruct, you know, it's, it, it, and there's a big bag of guilt that comes with that for a, a new Christian. How could I have? How could I, my eyes have been so close? Man, you know, you watch, I'm still reaping what I sowed when my daughter was eight, nine, ten, seven, six, whatever, before my eyes were opened at all. Totally different value system. You know, they like to remind you that. I think that's what you just have to let them know. They say, yeah, you're right. I was different. I was different. No. I get it. Well, well they, they, they say, you're right. not sure not perfect now either. Yeah.
and worked in their lives, I think. And I think that's one of the biblical principles that really help us. And so I try to get some way of doing that. We don't want to be wrong. Boy, it's hard for me to admit that I'm wrong and maybe my theory is right. But the, but the few times when I have admitted that, you know, I, I see a real yeah, the illusion of perfection is only in our eyes, not theirs. stage though where they where they do know everything and you just have to deal with that. I mean they go through that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I think we've about got to the edge of our time, so uh, eleven twenty, were we supposed to report back? Okay. Let's close with a word of prayer. Again, God, we just thank you that, uh, that you didn't uh, set us out on this this course, this uh, this job description, without role modeling for us what that should look like in yourself. And you've uh, you've shown us in so many ways. And we just acknowledge that sometimes we don't really want to see or act upon what we what we in fact already know. But we realize it's a it's a precious uh, obligation, and, and indeed one of the rewarding elements, one of the uh, the true gifts that you give us to participate in the growth and development of, 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 of one of your creation to be one of your children. So we just ask that you would uh, help us. We're dependent upon you for that, and we look to you for guidance and for teaching. And above all, let us be sensitive to your relationship with us and, and then try to learn from that how we can have that kind of relationship with the children you've given us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.